Well, good morning. Let's go ahead and have a seat. Happy Father's Day to dads, and so good to, good to see you all. Uh, glad you all made it here, too, in light of the fact that our exit, main exit for the church, was closed. So thanks to GPS and other things that are so readily available, you made it. So anyway, glad you're here. Um, uh, I'm one of the pastors, Scott, here at the, here at the Vine, and uh, uh, the other co-pastor who uh, helps lead the church is on an eight-week sabbatical. So um, we need to continue to remember to pray for Pastor Zach and, and just that time of refreshment that he's having uh, with his family. So uh, please remember to do that. Well, did you know that with your body, you have the ability to set an entire forest on fire, okay? That without the use of one match or any other material to assist you, like a poison, you can spread flames that have a devastating effect on those around you. Okay, it reminds me of the hero stories that are very prevalent, I think in particular of the X-Men series. It's based on this idea that when you turn a young teenager, uh, if you have these unique mutations that uh, begin to show themselves, what happens is you, you begin to notice these unique and special powers. And one of the main characters of the X-Men series is Charles Xavier, and uh, his mission in life is to... Uh, run this private school where they bring these uh, young mutants or mutated people uh, into the school in order to teach them to harness their special abilities for good and for the fight against evil. Now, it's interesting how the Proverbs in the message today in particular, they play this Xavier-type role, okay? As the Proverbs counsel us, and how it is that we can manage our ability, okay? And an ability, which as I mentioned a moment ago, can cause a lot of damage. Now, now, what is this ability that I'm referring to? It's the power of the tongue, the power of our words, okay? And, and I didn't come up with this whole idea of the, the power of our words. It's actually talked about in vivid terms in the book of James, which describes the power of our words as a, a tongue, that they come from a tongue that is a fire, that's a world full of unrighteousness, that our tongue, verse 6 in James 4, it's set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. But James isn't the first to recognize the power of a person's words. You know, about a thousand years before James was ever written, the book of Proverbs was written. And in that book of Proverbs, almost more prominent than any other area of our life, there are words written with an emphasis on the power of our words. And so that's what we'll be focusing on today. So if you have your Bible, you can turn, or if you want to go to your smartphone app or whatever, that's fine. You can go to Proverbs 17.27 through 18.4. And uh, here, again, we'll be exploring the power of our words to either bring good or evil to those around us. So, 
I'll go ahead and read along, again, starting at Proverbs 17, verse 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes disgrace. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. And uh, one thing we rally around here at the Vine, Lord, is that your gospel, as revealed in your word, it's true, it's inspired, it's reliable. It has words that correct but also words that bring about life and hope. And so I pray that you would infuse these words with deep meaning, not because of any eloquence on my part, but because of the fact that it's your word and the fact that your Holy Spirit is is in every Christian and is here in this place, convicting and drawing our hearts and opening our eyes to areas that we were once, once ignorant of or blind to. And so do that work, we pray. Do that work that only you can do in and through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, to better understand our words from these verses in Proverbs, we're going to answer three questions. It's going to be very, very simple in that sense today. And uh, we're going to do it through observation directly from the text. You can just keep your Bible open. And the three questions we're going to answer is, why is it that we use our Why is it that we are to use our words with restraint, okay? Why is it telling us to do that? What are the realities around that? Second question, why is it that we often use our words recklessly? You know, what does it have to teach us about that and about our heart because of that? And then finally, we're going to branch from that into thinking about how can change in our beliefs, okay? How can change in our beliefs lead to a change in how we use our words? Very important point of application, then we'll close with today in answering that question. But let's go ahead and start with why is it that we are to use our words carefully or with restraint? What's, what's the Proverbs getting at there? And so the first answer to this question can be found in verse 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So here we see it's a good thing to show restraint in the use of our words. And that our ability to do so, it's really tied to something else. It's tied to knowledge. It's tied to understanding. Now, another way of saying it is that a person with a cool, okay, not like cool, man, but like cool as in non-anxious spirit, it's a person who doesn't throw around his or her words Recklessly, So the person with a, a cool spirit, they, they have knowledge, they have understanding, and it's this kind of person who is, who is careful, who shows restraint in his or her use of words. 
Now, a great foundation for this message is what Michael talked about last week from Proverbs 8, where he unpacked the meaning of true wisdom. And I'd, I'd recommend that talk to you. Uh, go back and listen to it online. It gives a particularly great picture of how God's word and how the person of Jesus and the, the gospel of Jesus Christ informs our understanding of true wisdom. And so with that foundation, then we can look at a verse like verse 28 and see that uh, it's teaching us that as we grow in our understanding of the Bible, as we grow in the gospel and the good news of Jesus, then we become increasingly wise and that this wisdom leads us to become people who take seriously the power of our words. And, and therefore, we use our words with great care. Now, the answer to the question why we should use our words with restraint, it's further developed in verse 28. Look there, it reads, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Okay, what this simply means is that even a fool can sound wise if he shows restraint in his use of words. Okay, a more blunt way to put it is even an idiot can sound smart when he learns to keep his mouth shut, okay? So it's an overstatement, and it's, it's an overstatement to illustrate a point that learning restraint in your use of words is a powerful way to grow in wisdom, so much so that even a person with bad intentions can appear wise simply by controlling or choosing his words or her words more carefully, Okay, so it emphasizes that point. The other verse that helps us to see why it is that we're to use our words with care is verse 4 in chapter 18. You can look, look at that. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. So here, this picture of deep waters, it represents like the oceans. The word is even used to describe you know, the, the world before it was completely created, and it was all just covered in, in the deeps of water. And so, now today we know, even, even with our technology and all of our wealth and all of our advances in, in science, only 95% of the oceans, I'm sorry, only 5% of the oceans have been explored. You know, meaning the majority of what is underwater in the oceans today are completely unknown. They're a mystery to us. It's fascinating. To think about, but this emphasizes this, this idea that from ancient cultures all the way to today, the depths of the ocean represent deep mysteries. And the point here is that though a spoken word appears to be on the surface, it actually flows from the depths of our being, okay? It flows from these ocean depths. That our words are, 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 are the fruit of our ambitions, our deep desires, our unmet needs, that our words are influenced by childhood experiences, by deep religious convictions, and even motivations that are hidden from us that we aren't even aware of. So though we might be tempted to use words casually and frivolously, and we need to recognize that the words we speak, they're a window to our soul. This is why military and government security Agencies, they go to great lengths to train interrogators on the psychology of words. To them, words as well as other you know, nonverbal forms of communication, they're like a puzzle which can be put together 
in order to see the truth underneath the truth. Now, the author in Proverbs takes this metaphor of water a little bit further, okay? As he writes in verse 4 that the fountains of wisdom, it's like a bubbling brook, okay? And this gives us this, this really positive picture for the power of words, because words that flow from godly wisdom that we referred to earlier, they are like a fresh mountain stream to a thirsty soul. That when we use our words carefully and wisely, they become a safe and abundant source of nourishment to all those around us. I don't know if you've ever been around people who are like that, but when you meet them, you just feel better as a person. That's what I'm talking about. And it's the idea behind Ephesians 4.29, which reads, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, once we understand that our words are intended to be this bubbling brook, then we're inclined to ask this question before we speak. Will the words I'm about to speak build up and encourage others? Will they serve as a grace and blessing to their life? Will my words help them grow in godliness? That doesn't always mean your words are happy. That doesn't mean we don't confront when needed, but it means our agenda overall is to help people move forward in life and godliness. Now, did you know that... 37,000 deaths happen every year due to driving-related accidents. Okay, you probably didn't have that on the, on the front of your mind, but much bigger than that, that number, is the 2.35 million people who are injured or disabled in car accidents every year. Um, of the youth in McFarland High School, where my kids attend, Uh, Of the several kids who passed away in recent years, uh, they were all related to reckless driving incidents. Now, this reality, if you're a parent, should make us passionate about helping our kids see how, though cars can be really good things, I mean, they can be so helpful and essential for us, yet when they're mishandled, they become instruments for death or injury. And so how has our culture responded to that? Well, we've gone to great lengths to fight against the problem of driving-related injuries and deaths by doing things like improving safety standards and requiring drivers' education for new drivers. Some of you are going through that right now. Now, another statistic that is equally reflective of a serious problem is this. 7.4 billion, yes, you heard me right, 7.4 billion people in the world have experienced injury due to the reckless use of words. Now, that's a staggering statistic because it's pretty much every person who's alive on the earth, okay? Now, I think I can make this bold claim because I believe every one of us experiences injury on a regular basis due to the reckless use of words. The dumbest thing we could ever teach our kids or believe ourselves is that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Because Proverbs 17, 27 through 18, 4 teaches us the opposite. 
It teaches that the key to using our words carefully and with restraint, that it's similar to driving. Okay, it requires a good education by first filling our hearts with godly wisdom, both first and in an ongoing way. And second, like a car, it requires us to understand the power of our words. They have the ability to cause death in people, to injure them, to, or to promote life and encouragement. And so as we learn to use our words carefully and for the encouragement of others, then our words will become life and light to those around us. And so in what ways is the Lord challenging you to be more careful in your use of words? To take seriously the fact that that your words can injure other people or they can bring life and light. And so we've seen thus far why it is that we're to restrain our words. And this leads to the next question. Why is it that we often use our words recklessly? Okay, why do we use our words recklessly? So the first answer to this question is found in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 18. And this is what it says. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own understanding. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Now, to understand how this picture of isolation relates to our use of words, we need to recognize that people who hurt others with their words are simultaneously isolating themselves. Okay, now I'm going to make a statement. It's a strong statement, but I think it's one that's generally true, and that's this. The loneliest people in the world are often those who recklessly hurt others with their words. The loneliest people in the world are those who recklessly hurt people with their words. Now, why is this the case? Because, quite simply, okay, no one wants to be around people who use their words to promote themselves and diminish others. This is why what verse 2 means when it says that the person without understanding, it's, they're only interested in expressing their own opinion because this person tries to add value to their life by making themselves either the victor or the victim in every circumstance. And in doing so, what they're doing is they're using their words to exalt self and diminish others. Now, I'll never forget this article I read when I was a music major in, uh, for my undergrad in college, and I was in a choral conducting class, okay, where, you know, the guy or woman who stands in front of a choir. And, and this is what the article said in essence. It said, if your choir misses their cue the first time, it's their fault. If they miss the cue the second time, it might be their fault. If they miss the cue a third time, then it's your fault as the conductor. Another way of saying it is that that when you see problems around you become a pattern, you need to quit looking to others and begin looking to yourself. Okay, now this ties directly to verses 1 and 2. If you struggle with relational isolation, you need to resist the temptation to just dismiss it. It's everyone else's problem. And consider, is this pattern pointing 
towards me? Is, the, is this an opportunity for personal growth and change? We need to ask that question. Now, the answer how we use our words recklessly, it really comes full circle in verse 3, which reads, When wickedness comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes disgrace. Now, it's an interesting progression of words that wickedness leads to this recklessness in our use of words, and, and it accompanies contempt, okay? Now, to have contempt towards another person is to see them as worthless or beneath consideration. It ties a lot with what we just got in talking about. And, and this is why if someone's in court and they dishonor the judge in some way, they're found in contempt of court, Okay? contemptuous. And so according to verse 3, the person who is wicked shows contempt towards others and is therefore dishonorable. They're a disgrace. And this points us back really to the point made at the beginning of this message, that, that there are huge consequences to using your words carelessly and that these words and their consequences, they reveal the condition of our heart. Now, I know a person who, when they were in high school many years ago, they had a tense relationship with their father. Now, you could chalk it up to a number of things. Maybe it was teenage rebellion, or now that I'm a dad, I recognize sometimes those things come from being an over-controlling father. Whatever the case, their relationship was not good, okay? And this culminated in an argument one night after dinner that ended in the dad having a heart attack and dying. Now, this was such a painful experience in this person's life that I've never talked to her about it because it was so difficult. But I have observed evidence in her life of deep regret and pain, feelings that still affect her life and relationships, I believe, even today, now decades later. And this leads to another question that I think is helpful for us as we think about the power of words, and it's this. We can ask this of ourselves. How would we use our words differently if we knew that the conversation we were having was the last time that we'd ever speak to that person? Now, I, I know this feels kind of morbid to ask questions like that, and it feels a little overstated, but, but can you imagine how our words would change if we believe James 4.14, which says, our life is but a vapor here a little while and then gone? The point's that, that, that words are powerful, that they're powerful instruments for good or evil, and that we just need to take them more seriously. Now, as I transition into the final point of this message, I want to share a way that just kind of came to mind, a way of framing how it is we view the Proverbs. Now, have you ever heard the term that you can motivate someone with a carrot or a stick? Okay, I don't know, some of you younger folks may never have heard that, but the term comes from this idea that there are two ways to get a donkey to move forward, and you can see an image here of this principle, okay? You can move a donkey forward with a stick or a spur, right, guiding them painfully from the back. And the other is to motivate them by the promise of a future reward, right? Represented in this 
healthy and nutritious carrot, okay? Some of you may want to substitute a candy bar, okay? But, but uh, anyway, the idea is this carrot that's desirable. Now, there is no such thing as a perfect analogy, okay? So if you press this too hard, I understand it can break down. But, but one way that we can understand the Proverbs is that they can often feel a little like a stick, right? I mean, I felt the conviction uh, over these last few weeks of like, wow, that just totally hits me where I feel like I've, I've failed. And, and with that conviction, there's this temptation, this temptation to, to wallow in the guilt, to feel as though, you know, if we only felt bad enough, that it would somehow lead to change. But to do this would be to miss the carrot, okay? You see, the carrot that is the reward that leads to real and lasting change, it cannot be found in the law or in our ability to obey. The carrot that leads or empowers our change is the new life that all who are believers are given through the mercy and grace of Jesus to forgive us of our sin and failures and to invite us to be a new creation. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And so the work that Jesus did for us on the cross as he died to break the power of sin in our lives, making salvation available to all who would come to him and trust his work for us, on our behalf, it changes us, it, it aids us, it empowers us in becoming, becoming something new. Okay? So the benefit from the wisdom of Proverbs is, in some ways, it's as a stick, right? It, it corrects us, it, it gives us that, that pain of, oh yeah, I really should be doing that better. But we need to recognize that the, the fuel for the change that Proverbs is inviting us to It's found in the transforming work of the gospel. And this sets us up for this third question that I want to interact with, and that's how can a change in belief or in in what we trust or in our understanding, how can it lead to a change in our use of words? Okay? And so we're going to fast forward now, and we're going to look at Jesus. And this is what Jesus says about words, probably his most concise statement in Luke 6.45, where he He said this, the good person out of a good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what Jesus is implying here, or maybe not so much implying, saying quite boldly, is that the secret to our change is not just choosing better words, but it's choosing a better treasure. It's choosing a different thing to believe in or trust. Another way of saying it is that behavioral modification isn't good enough, okay? If you you truly want to grow in your use of words, then you need to see them as the fruit of that which you treasure most, And this is why John 15, I love, the name of our church came out of John 15. And and John 15 teaches that a fruitful life comes from abiding in Jesus, from resting in who he is, of, of living your life revolving around and celebrating what he's done and who you are because of that work. And so the big idea is that we find our identity in Jesus as we treasure him. 
as our Savior and Lord, as he becomes that carrot for us that leads us to true and lasting change. Now, in seminary, I took this uh, marriage and family counseling class. And, and you know how you, you, you might have a, a quote or something that stands out to you that always forms your, the way you think. Well, there was this article I read called Collaborative Couples Therapy by Dr. Dan Weil. And, and the simple concept behind his therapy was this, that when we have conflict with another person, there are three choices that we can make. The first is... Okay, we get attacked, and then what do we do? We attack, or, or we get defensive. We retaliate by criticizing the person who hurt us. The second choice when we're attacked is to avoid or to ignore or downplay. Okay, I'm, I'm really good at this one, by the way. Okay, and that's changing the subject or complete, uh, completely isolating yourself from the person or topic of disagreement or just quickly downplaying that source of conflict. And, but he says there's a third choice in conflict, and that is to confide, to listen, to not attack or avoid the person that you're having the conflict with, but to try and understand, to respect their perspective. And his, his argument is that, that if you turn people away from the response of attacking or avoiding and turn them towards confiding, then it develops healthy communication, okay? So it's that simple. Now, as with, you know, any secular therapeutic observation, it's great at assessing behavior, okay? This is what happens. But in order for us to truly understand the meaning behind what he's proposing, we need to come back to the word. And so what I'm going to do to kind of wrap up our, my talk today is I'm going to give you two examples applying his principle. And then I'm going to root those examples to the Proverbs response to our use of words and to the treasure principle that Jesus just taught us through his word. So let's consider a situation in which we're tempted to respond to conflict by attacking others, okay? So here's the example. Imagine with me that you're at work, or if you're younger, at school, whatever. But if you're at work and a colleague comes to you and points out something wrong with your performance, okay? Can you get there? Get your mind there? Now, the impulse that many of us might have in a situation like this is to go into defensive mode, right? To attack, either directly or maybe in our minds, right? By using words to defend ourselves, Because that person's criticism not only hurt us, but it threatened the deep desire we have to be seen as successful by other people. Now, in response to this experience, what we learn today from the Proverbs is this. Rather than letting our anger get the best of us, we need to recognize, hey, words are powerful. I can't let my emotions control the way I respond to this. And so rather than attacking and, and uh, rather than attacking, what we should do is recognize that our emotions will betray us. Okay? So we should consider the pathway of restraint, which is going to lead us to humility, to looking for wisdom. Okay? So that's what the Proverbs would tell us when we're tempted to attack. 
Now, in response to what we learn about the treasure principle of Jesus that's centered on the gospel we like to talk a lot about here at the Vine. So in response to that being attacked, here's what Jesus would say to us and the truth of Jesus would say to us, that rather than letting our anger get the best of us, we should recognize that the only approval that really matters in our life is the approval that comes from God through Jesus. Okay? Once we get that, then we're free to respond when we are confronted with words of grace, recognizing that the criticism either has a truth we can learn from, because it very well may, or we can just graciously acknowledge their comment and move on. Okay? So there's an example. How we respond through the Proverbs and through ultimately the treasure principle that we have as we find our life and our identity in Jesus when conflict comes. Let's consider one other example, okay? Now, here's a situation where we may be tempted to respond by avoiding, okay? Imagine with me a family member or spouse brings up to you a way in which you somehow failed them, okay? We've all experienced this if we're in relationships with others in families, okay? Now, perhaps you didn't do something you promised to do or you messed up by forgetting something important to them. Now, the impulse that we might have in that situation is to go into avoidance mode with our words as we quickly change the subject or we issue a false apology, okay, with the hopes of just alleviating tension, okay? Get out of that place of tension as quickly as possible. Now, as we think about what we learned in the Proverbs, I think we could apply this. A better decision than avoiding would be to use our words with, again, restraint. To not launch into another subject which is irrelevant to the issue, or to use our words frivolously by giving this half-hearted apology. Rather, knowing that our words have power and depth, we should try and respond to the disappointment with words of wisdom, with words of humility, seeking to bring positive from the situation to, to learn, even in the midst of our personal disappointment. But this carrot, okay, this treasure principle of what we know about who we are in Christ leads us to take it even one step further. When we're confronted with conflict and we're tempted to avoid or evade, we need to remember that because of Jesus, our Heavenly Father's love for us is without condition. It's independent of our ability to obey or be perfect. Now, what this does is it allows us to feel bad for our failure, but to not be crushed. You see, the gospel gives us freedom to fail because we aren't trying to earn people's love. It frees us to learn and grow and respond with thankfulness. Because God's forgiven us, we can also forgive ourselves. Now, I could go on and on with all sorts of examples, but I'm going to leave that to your own mind, heart, and the work of the Spirit within you. And I want to close now just praying for all of us as we seek to apply this throughout our week, in particular for fathers. And so let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and how it has this beautiful purpose in our lives. 
to poignantly and convictingly reveal ways in which we're not reflecting the word, which we're not reflecting the person of Christ and how we treat people. And Lord, it's important for us to feel the weight of that, to feel conviction. Man, I, I just throw my words about. I use them in a way to get others to try and like me. I isolate myself by hurting others, and I try to make myself feel better by playing the victor or the victim. And Lord, in all those realities, in that conviction, I pray that it, it would reveal something to us. But, but as it does, I pray that the carrot, this beautiful picture that where our treasure is, there our words will also be. That, Lord, we would run to the, the hope that we have in Christ. That we would run to the new creation that we are. That we would run to the fact that you've done what we could never do. And in doing so, we've been accepted and loved. And I pray, Lord, that would help us as well to respond with humility. To respond wanting to learn. Because the inner part of who we are is no longer threatened. Lord, I pray this in particular for dads. Because our reputation is to come in with fury at times. And I pray, Lord, that today's word for us would would temper that. And would help us to be loving and intentional and firm, yet caring in the words that we say. So however we need to apply this, Lord, today, we just put it in your hands and ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.